One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm Sophie Ellis-Bexter, and welcome to Spinning Plates, the podcast where I speak to busy working women who also happen to be mothers about how they make it work. I'm a singer, and I've released seven albums in between having my five sons, aged 16 months to 16 years, so I spin a few plates myself. Being a mother can be the most amazing thing, but can also be hard to find time for yourself and your own ambitions. I want to be a bit nosy and see how other people balance everything. Welcome to Spinning Plates. Hello, darlings. I speak to you from the streets of Aberdeen. I am here for a gig tonight with Steps. Just come from two nights in Manchester, which was really fun. The gig last night was wicked. Loved it. And I'm on my own doing the thing I like to do where I Google the nearest or the best vintage shops in town and use that as a way to like get me out of the hotel and walking around so been out now for about an hour I think maybe an hour and a half poodling about it's a very handsome place actually Aberdeen I like it and yeah bought myself a nice little turquoise sort of 60s-esque frock and oh small chance I'm walking in the wrong direction when I'm talking to you I'm going to look at my map while we speak Let's see, where is she? Uh, that wasn't me talking about myself in the next third person. That was me finding out where I have to be. I'm only three minutes from where we gotta be. Oh, great, I was actually going in the right direction. That's refreshing. I'm normally not. Whoa, it's actually quite cold here, like maybe 10 degrees and I just walked past some girls in tiny little frocks they looked young and they looked cold but they looked sweet um so this week's guest is a really lovely woman called harriet gibson and harriet is a journalist and i read an article that she'd written i think it was retweeted quite a few times because it was really beautifully written all about her going through early menopause and her journey to motherhood. And oh no, it's getting windy. Richard's going to hate that. Sorry, Richard, in the studio. 
Um, oh, you're going to go past Gabuska in a minute as well. <laughs> it's all happening on the streets of Aberdeen. Um, anyway, can you hear that? <laughs> well, that guy is having fun. Um, so anyway, I thought, oh, when I read the article, I thought, oh, I'd love to speak to Harriet for the podcast. She'd be brilliant. And then a couple of weeks later, I was doing a photo shoot with my mum. Oh, I might have to dip into a doorway. Rich is going to hate this wind on the microphone so much. It's going to make him very sad. Hold on, hold on. I can stand here. Does that work? Anyway, um, yeah, a couple of weeks later, I was doing a photo shoot with my mum for The Guardian. A really nice thing where they took a picture of my mum and I from about... Oh, 35 years ago and then we recreated it now a kind of then and now thing and we spoke to the journalist and I thought that journalist looks familiar and afterwards my mum said oh that's the woman from the article you liked so I was like oh my word so I said to Harriet I'd love to speak to you the podcast and she was a bit uh, taken aback I think uh, but also really chuffed so anyway she came round to mine and now I'm going to play for you conversation that we had which was really wonderful and I'd like to thank Harriet for being so beautifully uh, open and honest about her experience because I know that those conversations really do help people listening in to if they're going through something similar anyway over to you Harriet and me from a few weeks ago see you on the other side What exactly are you up to at the moment? That's a really good question. <laughs> I go to Boots quite a lot and look at the skincare ranges. Um, what do I do? So I, I was a, a editor at The Guardian for a while, for about eight years, and then I left in July to, um, I don't know, become a writer mm. in some respects. Um, I'm still sort of figuring it all out. Um, I do a ghostwriting column for The Guardian still. And then there are a couple of other projects that I'm sort of working on and probably aren't ready to sort of say yet, yeah, yeah, yeah. just in case everything falls through and I look ridiculous. Um, but yeah, I'm enjoying sort of exploring new things and uh, just getting out of the grind of working at a newspaper was great because I was exhausted, quite really? frankly. Yeah, I just don't think I've got it in me to do that every day um, and there are no sort of relaxed days you don't get bank holidays off or anything like that it's just full throttle every day and how long were you in that were you in that sort of cycle so I worked on the music desk for four years and that was a daily you know I had to pump content into the ether for for hours every day for four years and then I worked for a weekly which is uh quite sort of rigorous but um not as intense you don't have to worry about George Michael dying on Christmas day or anything like that um but yeah, it's it's good. And I don't know if it's because I've just had a baby but or the menopause stuff, but it's just good to not have to be tied to getting up at a certain time and being really alert at specific times. I can sort yeah. of have periods where I'm a bit hazy if I need to be. Yeah, and, I, well, if you're, and your little one is still really very little. He's only 20 months. Yeah. So do you feel like that has had a bit of an influence in wanting this maybe a different time? I suppose you've also had lockdown as well. There's been a lot yeah. going on, hasn't there? I yeah it's a good question because I actually put him in childcare an extra day when I left the Guardian so I I feel like I still I get less time with him if I'm honest 
Um, but it is nice to be able to see him every day after nursery. And I think I'm probably a bit nicer to be around. Yeah. Which is, you know, happy mum, happy baby, that thing. Yeah. Um, so probably benefits everyone in our house, I think, that I've done yeah. this. Um, but I don't know. In a year's time, I might be terrified and <laughs> pulling my hair out. But who knows? No, I think, you know, if you if you have the ability to... I mean, we were talking, weren't we, before we started recording about being flexible and having a little bit of give and take with, you know, ebb and flow with the, the sort of parameters of how that all mm. works. And it sounds like having done the the sort of desk job aspect of writing, which must be a muscle you just have to keep flexed all the time if you're writing that much, that now it's quite a good time to kind of take stock. And you have been through a lot in the last little while that's given you lots of chances to take stock. And the reason I wanted to speak to you well, there was quite a lot of nice serendipity involved as well. So I'd I'd read you, the article that you published in June this year, which we'll talk about in a second, and I was really struck by it. And I forwarded it to my mum. I'm like, this is a really beautiful article. And then we ended up working together with my mum. And I, it took me a second for the penny to drop because when I saw your face, I was like, I know that lady's face from somewhere. <laughs> and then I was talking to my mum and she's like, you know, that's the article you forwarded me. I was like, oh my goodness. So we did that really nice piece where yeah. she was talking to my mum and... The, I think it was the first one they did. Yeah. The Guardian West. So it's a photograph of my mum and I that we re- recreated from when I was really little. They're really fun to do those things. They're yeah, very they're satisfying. Great. And it's a nice um, interview that we had about, uh, well, actually, we spoke about quite a lot of things, mm. but I suppose primarily about the relationship I have with my mum. But yeah, I was really so moved by your article because, you know, there are so many ways to become a parent. And obviously, you know, there's one that is presented as the most easy option, but that's not the one that everybody gets given to them. So did you always want to be a mother anyway? I think so, but it wasn't... Um, I didn't have a burning desire. Uh, I wasn't I wasn't sort of desperate to build a family, and I don't think I'm sort of enormously maternal in that way. I'm the youngest of three, and I've always been the baby. So I was always a bit like, oh, no, I'm going to lose that status now. If I have my <laughs> own, I have to be responsible. And are you the last one of the three to have a baby? Yes, yeah, yeah. They've both got two each, my brother and sister. Um, but uh, my husband and I, were, you know, we just got married, and I knew at some stage I'd really like to have a baby. Um, but I was having quite a lot of fun, truth be told. And um, I quite liked going out and I liked going on holiday and having fun. Um, So I I sort of, like, I took it for granted entirely, my um, fertility, because I think you often do, really. Well, so you were young. You were only in your, like, late 20s, early 30s. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, And then, uh, then, uh, yeah, I started getting some unusual symptoms, um, which made me question a lot of things. And then I eventually found out I wouldn't be able to have children. Uh, which then inspired me to sort of get on that path to figure out how to do it. Mm. Um, shall I fill in the gaps? <laughs> yeah, well, either you, either you can, or I'm just going to start asking like a ton yeah, of questions, yeah, yeah, basically. Go for it. You, go, um, you go for it. <laughs> so I suppose we should start at the very beginning of that journey, which is that, so you find yourself, looking back, you could see that the first symptoms were in your, like, so 28, 29. Mm. So you're getting a few feeling sweaty moments and you think you're just not coping very well with stressful situations. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. I was, um, it was a very sort of aggressive heat 
that sort of was very prickly and coursed throughout my body very um, suddenly. Um, it often happened when I was trying to get to sleep or if I had to have a sort of challenging conversation with someone. Um, I felt it was like almost like having a lie detector test yeah, attached yeah. to me because immediately my neck would just be like Everything gives red. away how you're yeah. feeling inside. <laughs> and um, I was, you know, I'm a bit of a stress head. Well, I was anyway. And so I presumed it was me sort of trying to put a lid on my sort of very intense imposter syndrome at the Guardian <laughs> and um, I thought it was fine I'd go on holiday sometimes and it would disappear and I thought it's just anxiety yeah but that sounds really natural if there were moments where it would go yeah totally and, and also that coincide with not being in the work environment or stressful situations in that way yeah and I still really don't understand what the connection is between that and the menopause but I mean my periods were really erratic and that's since day one so yeah was that an unusual thing no, it was, it was just, it's always been very stop and start. Like I'd get them, my first periods would go on for two months and then I wouldn't get them. And, you know, I thought it, again, that was based on stress or mental uh, issues rather than physical ones. So yeah, carried on regardless. Um, and then I started getting really sad um, at really unusual points in my day Um and I suppose it was the contrast between having a really lovely experience sort of with a family or with my friends and it was offset by me just really aggressively crying. <laughs> oh, no. Um, I'm laughing, I know, but it, was, it is kind of mad when I think about it, if anyone would witness me doing it. Um, but did people witness that or was it no. something that was quite um, secret? It, yeah, I was really, really good at being sneaky about it. Because I think Sneaky, it would be aggressive crying. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds noisy. Uh, yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, I think uh, I've I've learned. I'm quite. I am quite good at hiding all of these things, um, because I didn't want to alarm anyone really, and because I didn't know why I was crying, I didn't think it was really worth me bringing it up with anyone. And also, the thing I'm thinking as well is that it's extraordinary, really, that you can have what sound like really quite stark, really unpleasant symptoms and attribute all of it to stress. And actually, that sometimes is just what's happening. And I'm thinking, what a crazy situation most of us put ourselves in with with, with things like, like you were saying about imposter syndrome. I, I feel like I can so relate to just going, well, I've just taken too much on, yeah. and I'm stressed about this, actually. And I've always had a latent anxiety about a lot yeah. of this anyway, so sooner or later it had to come to the surface. Whereas actually, that's a really really stressful way to live with all that going on and not really and just thinking it's just work and you just got to get on with it yeah it is bad isn't it and I think I think we just sort of yeah I mean it always ends in something quite dramatic happening health-wise if you don't address it but I don't know unless you're like really 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 impaired it doesn't seem worth bringing it up really does it and also yeah. hormones are so chaotic often for women anyway that you're like oh this is just I'll just adapt to whatever hell my hormones have yes <laughs> loaded on me today well actually there's a, a line in your article that really stayed with me where it said something like to survive the chaos of the female anatomy mm. you need a really sensitive you know wise you know presence in like a doctor or someone you find but actually I think quite often we don't find that person yeah um, and when you first do go to see a GP or something you know there's so many stories aren't there of people just getting a fairly dismissive or tactless response I mean I know you know, my mum, when she went to the doctor about her own menopause, um, um, the guy she saw was basically like, well, this is just sort of what happens at this mm -hmm. age, so you've just kind of got to get on with that now. 
And she was like, uh, hang on a minute, that doesn't sound right at all. But, you know, the fact that you'd even get to that stage in your life and still be sort of fighting to kind of have the conversation you actually need to have rather than the one you've been given. It's like I know. quite extraordinary. But we can come on to that later yeah. because I think that that's a whole other yeah. aspect really. But So that's all building and you get married in amongst these things happening. Is that right? Yeah, well, yeah, they sort of... The crying happened after I got married um, and then things really accelerated about five months after I got married, actually. Um, I just... Um, yeah, I just noticed a significant shift in my brain and what I was able to do with it so I lost all the agility that I once had not that I'm this incredible sort of uh, raconteur or anything but it was impossible for me to access words that I'd learned throughout my life oh that must have been horrible it was really scary especially um being a journalist or even interviewing people it suddenly was um very terrifying to sort of engage with even friends at work because I was worried that I would forget what to say halfway through a sentence um and um my imagination was also really deadened by it um and uh I think that's the sort of joy of life having sort of nice sort of daydreams or even uh sex and stuff like that it was all all the sort of additional things in life that sort of keep you going was suddenly just everything got really muffled and a bit hazy um, it's regarded as it's 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 known as brain fog, which I think is okay. quite a good description of. Is that what it feels like then? Yeah. So you just sort of haven't got the ability to kind of float off into anything. Yeah, exactly. And um, it's a bit. I likened it to coming back from Glastonbury after four days. So, so you just feel a bit spent, a bit sort of yeah. rinsed. Yeah, yeah, totally burnt out. Um, and that's very stressful if your job requires you to be. And it's lonely Articulate. as well. It's really, yeah, it? yeah. That's that's. I was incredibly lonely, and my husband is really supportive, but um, I was scared, and um, we couldn't figure out what was happening. And he he would say, "You just seem completely normal to me," but I knew inside it was, it was all going weird. So um, then other symptoms started happening, like I was in a lot of pain in my joints. Um, it was really you get fidgety legs, so it's really hard to relax at the end of the night. And then um, I had insomnia which I I need a lot of sleep to function and it was just wasn't happening I would just be incredibly alert before bed and I'd wake multiple times in the night because of the hot flushes so I'd begin every day just uh, in a state of total panic because I knew I hadn't had enough sleep to just get me through the day with the brain fog on top of it um so at that point I was like I need to see a GP um and they'd always been really great my my local GP but um I think we're only now sort of having more nuanced discussion about female hormonal health Mm. so uh, they did lots of tests um they thought I might be depressed but um I just was very conscious that it wasn't depression and I don't know how I just I suppose I know lots of people who have had depression and this felt very it felt like an illness or a condition that wasn't strictly mental health it felt like a full-bodied something is attacking me yeah um so it was about a year or so of going back and forth to doctors, different doctors, um, until they sent me to an endocrinologist who um, called me in and said, look, we finally looked at these test results. It's the FSH levels and the AMH levels and they measure how fertile you are, essentially. Um, and he said, you've got a condition called premature premature ovarian insufficiency, um, which means you've got uh, less than 5% chance of conceiving naturally 
and you'll need to be on HRT until your 50s when you can eventually come off and, you know, your body just naturally is in a postmenopausal state. Um, and he said it in such a sort of casual way that I was confused about sort of absorbing the news. I was like, oh, it's, maybe this is fine. And I had this sort of moment of sort of thinking, I need to say something, I need to question this. And I was like, well, I'll surely be able to do IVF. And he said, no, you, just, you don't have, uh, your, your ovaries aren't responsive enough, so you'll have to get a donor. And yeah, it just suddenly uh, detonated my brain, really. I just couldn't really uh, absorb the information that was being given to me. Um, and you were with your husband at the meeting as well? I was on my own. You are on your own? Yeah, because we'd been to so many appointments and it was just getting a bit exhausting. So I just went on my own and um, thought it would be another sort of dead end. Um, oh, that's a lot to take in. It, w- it was, and my brain, it took, it took about four months for my brain to properly grieve the... Um, the news about the infertility um, and I was sort of trying to address the menopausal symptoms that that was the most urgent sort of thing yeah. in my mind is how do I get through my days with all these symptoms that are preventing me from being normal um, but I, I rung my sister who's my, my best friend and I told her what had happened and she immediately without skipping a beat offered to don't ha- donate her eggs to me um, and I was like great which cool. is such a incredible, I mean, it's so beautiful that. It is. And I love how completely instinctive that, that was for her for, as a response. Yeah, it was um, gorgeous, actually. That's such love, isn't it? And, <laughs> yeah. um, so just thinking, when you're with the doctor and he said insufficient, no, premature ovarian insufficiency. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did he use the word menopause then? then no. no. And is not, that the same thing as menopause? It's not. It's it not. isn't. No, they, they sh- we call it the early menopause because it sort of does have the exact same symptoms but right it's uh it's not i don't know i'm not very scientific so i can't no, I'm really explain just trying it. To get my head around it's it a really I good don't. question clever people on uh facebook groups i sign up to can explain it but i don't know i lost them because i was just thinking as well that whilst there's still a lot of mystery around menopause i wonder if that would have helped your brain to hear a familiar word in amongst a lot of other words yeah it's that are all new i did once I heard ordering. that word, I was like, well, I'm going to tell people that. Also, because if you Google um, premature ovarian insufficiency, one of the first symptoms that comes up is dry vagina. And I didn't want people, <laughs> I didn't want people going, oh, let me have a look at what Harriet's got. And going, oh, bloody hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's yeah. having a rough that, that little nod of yeah. you know, tilted head. I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and I just thought, yeah, people get it. People don't really understand what the menopause is, but they sort of get vaguely that they want to keep keep away from me maybe for a bit um so yeah I did use that language instead but I mean what followed was um I know I sound so dramatic saying this but kind of a massive existential spiral <laughs> after that just in terms of my identity as a woman I just uh I mean I still feel a bit confused by it all now but I um I felt deeply sort of asexual and outsider a bit of an outsider all of a sudden and um yeah I I was really unhappy um but also it was tricky because my sister had given this brilliant opportunity to Mark and I so I was incredibly grateful for that but um I was sort of battling with these two sort of things um at the same time um and things moved very quickly with the fertility treatment we got an appointment with some brilliant uh, doctors and um, we just 
got tested to see how my womb was to mm. see if it would hold a baby and it and it was fine um and I had to start on all these hormones to sort of get my womb ready Mark had to uh jizz in a pot a bit <laughs> <laughs> he was fine as well and my sister was also yeah everyone everyone was like fit and healthy um but it was more about yeah getting me ready for it so I had to take HRT um and it made me not feel good actually um HRT is a brilliant you have to take it when you're um, menopausal or have POI because it's important for your heart and bone health. Um, when you don't have enough oestrogen, they're, they're really okay. at risk. So it's really essential. Um, but you have to work hard to find the right stuff for you. Because yeah, and it the dosage make, yeah, is really bespoke, isn't really, it? Really, really bespoke. And I just had to take this stuff to get my body ready for the baby. So it wasn't really a time for me being like, but I also cry a lot. You know, it was like, let's just get the womb ready and then we'll figure out how to make me feel good in the long term. So, yeah, that was about a year. There's a lot to think about all at once. And I, I actually think, I've already started thinking a little bit about what you're saying about your identity as a woman. I think, particularly in our young lives, I don't think you realise how intrinsic the sort of aspect of fertility is to so much of femininity. Not, I'm not saying whether or not you want to be a mother. It's not mm. about being maternal. It's about, I suppose it's about like your sense of self. And I think it's just something that it's laced throughout so much of um, female culture mm. without really even realising. Yeah, I think about that being an aspect of what it is to be a young woman, even if that's not something you're prioritising. But yeah. it's not necessarily even about having babies. I agree. And I mean, I sort of feel like motherhood is really fetishized sometimes oh God, as really well. So really I think is. that was the thing that confused me a bit. Because I never saw motherhood as, you know, I've never judged anyone for not having children. And no, I've never neither. considered myself in order to be a woman, I have to be a mother. But totally agree. I think, and also, I think some of the most maternal people I know don't have any babies. Yeah, and, I'm and vice exactly versa. I don't. Yeah. It's, a, it's a really... Uh, yeah, loose connotation in my head with that. Mm. But I think you're right, it is really fetishising. It's, I think it's a weird time. In, I mean, there's a lot of um, aspects of motherhood that I think are better now in terms of... Um, there's just a lot more role models, actually, for being a different... for everybody's uh, way of interpretation of being a parent. And I know that when I became a mum, I didn't really feel like I saw much reflected back at me of, of yeah. how what, I've, what made me feel like I was doing, you know, the sort of mum I wanted to be. But at the same time, it's taken really far with some aspects and it's sort of, you know, the balloons and beige and yeah. aspect of, you know. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. aspect is like, oh, I don't think that's me at all. Yes, I, yeah, <laughs> I relate to all of that, definitely. Um, and, uh, yeah, just sort of looking at my body on a kind of daily basis, which I en ended up not doing anymore because I was just, I don't know, I just got very, yeah, just sort of disgusted with myself, if I'm honest. Um, I just, yeah, I just, I was struggling to sort of look after myself properly because it just takes quite a lot of energy to wash sometimes when you're oh, feeling yeah. low. And um, yeah, and I just, yeah, I felt really uncomfortable in myself. I felt very estranged from my body because it was, you know, behaving in a bizarre way. And also it had just been told it couldn't do this thing that you're brought up to believe is really essential as a woman, which it's not. But well, also you know. a lot of the side effects, what the symptoms you're having are horrible. I mean, and they're right in your head. Yeah, yeah. They're affecting, you know, like the fact that you couldn't articulate things or feel imaginative, imagination. Mm. Those, that's, mm. as you say, those those aspects of how we live are what takes, elevates every aspect of just getting by. Isn't yeah, it? That's yeah. The, that's the fun stuff right there. It is. And... um 
I think uh, I can imagine as well when you've had such a diagnosis that you'd be doing something fairly mundane and you just want to be like, you don't realise though I've actually, I'm going through all of this on the inside, you know. <laughs> I look the same but there's so much going on. I know I was, I mean I was like that but I was really embarrassed to be, like in retrospect, I was just really desperate for, I suppose a conversation like this. I really, really wanted to tell everyone all the time because I just was, I, I can't process this on my own. I, I felt really, I mean, I went I went to the Brit Awards um, uh, when I was a music journalist and uh, had a few drinks and then went to an after party and saw a friend I hadn't seen for ages. And um, she was like, oh, um, Hattie, I've, I've, I've spoken to Tim, I've, I've heard about what's going on. And I was like, it's awful, isn't it? And I sort of started unloading all my sort of trauma onto her and she was like oh no no I'm really sorry I meant Tim's cancer diagnosis <laughs> and I was like oh yeah sorry <laughs> that's probably more of a priority than me sweating quite a lot um so I was just very needy and that's not needy because actually yeah. what you're doing what you're going through is a really big deal and and you know and I also I bet when you were visiting Dr. Google, I bet a lot of roads led to cancer anyway. <laughs> all of so that's in there, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> that's where all Dr. Google always takes us first. It's true. <laughs> Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. But I think, um, I think, again, there's a, Sorry to sort of misquote you back at yourself, but there was a line about talking to people and menopause not being quite dramatic enough to actually get from people <laughs> what you really needed to hear. 
Yeah, yeah. When, was, you're, when you're talking, like, if you're, like, sort of, you know, if you're at a party or speaking to someone and you want, it shared you what's going on and they just kind of go, oh, I'm really sorry, that sounds awful, and then just sort of move on to the next, be like, no, 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 this is, yeah. it's worse than that. Next level up, please. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. I think, well, my mum was certainly incredibly stoic with her menopause and I just remember her being slightly hot one Christmas. But, and maybe also menopausal symptoms aren't always really savage, but... um it wasn't talked about really, so understandably people didn't understand the level of maybe uh, difficulties I was having. And it wasn't until that article came out that people like, I had no idea it was that, all of that. I thought it was just a bit of sweat because I had a, a desk uh, fan and stuff, so people knew that was a symptom. But um, yeah, I don't know. You did find a little community that did I did, yeah, a, yeah. Daisy? The Daisy Network, yeah, I... I I went to, how did I, I think a doctor suggested I spoke to a therapist who specialised it and who then suggested I signed up to this um, network called the Daisy Network and they've got a Facebook group and it's filled with other women who are going through something similar Um, and they are really great at um, just talking about sharing sort of HRT stories and also just being open about what they might be uh, facing symptom-wise um, but then I sort of did egg myself on, I think, sometimes. If I was having a really bad time, I would just find some sort of weird message board somewhere else and I'd get really stuck into other people's difficult times and I'd wallow in it a bit. And that's and, quite tiring as well, isn't yeah. it? You sort of wander deep down those corridors. Yeah. I suppose I was just really lonely and I mm. needed to connect to someone. Um, so these poor women were the ones to do it um and they've been really useful um because there isn't enough information really in most gps because they're probably understaffed and they don't have you know specialists working for them so you can sort of get some help in terms of how to treat yourself really there's also quite a small percentage of women that go through something yeah. like this isn't it Still. yes one one percent of women under 40 but you know since that article came out I've spoken to so many people that I know who've gone I, I've been diagnosed with that I wonder really? if it's more and I don't know I think yeah, it's actually you know what that's right common. I mean they only get that percentage through people that actually yeah. figure out what's going on that's the thing I think we're really used to women are used to living through quite a lot of yeah and you could easily have just discomfort. been put on antidepressants yeah and yeah go all around those those roads before yeah. you know realizing that that's not really getting yeah, to the yeah. root of it Totally, um, and I think that's the problem with hormonal stuff is that it's it's lots of lots of strange things that you don't necessarily draw another dots up. Yeah, of, um, I mean nothing nothing like yours, but I have an underactive thyroid, and that's oh, me got, too. Really, yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but that is bad. That is not good for energy and no. All of and that. It, but that again, like all the all the dots of that, they're all over the place. So you can think, well, I mean, I I didn't realise because I just had a baby and. I thought, well, that's why I've got extra weight and I'm really knackered and feeling a bit sludgy and a bit eeyore. I didn't really understand that it might be anything different. And I think there's a lot, like, your, your hormones in your body are crazy for what how they can affect everything. Mm-hmm. And, the, the you know, the, the glasses through actually see everything. Um, and I think menopause in general is something that I, I don't think is being talked about enough. It's such a significant thing and can make so many women feel like they're going absolutely crazy and aren't keeping mm-hmm. up with themselves. And it sounds like there's a lot of anxiety that can be associated with the things that you used to find fine. And I know my mum said that she found suddenly like 
going to the airport, she'd just mm. be really nervous about travel out of the blue. Like, that was never really her before. And suddenly, like, just yeah. made her feel really sort of lots oh, of palpitations yeah. and... Yeah. Yeah, like really physical. Because I'm a warrior. I, you know, I don't have you know clinical anxiety, but I was always a real warrior and over preparer. But it was the physical um, feelings of anxiety, so the heart palpitations and the and like pain, and my left arm would go completely numb, which apparently is connected to it. So yeah, it was quite trippy, really. Mm. Um, just before I forget, I have to say the other people who've got underactive thyroids: Desiree, okay, Gigi Hadid, and um, Sean Ryder. Oh, yeah. Cool. So okay. we're in we're in a cool club. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I'll DM them later yeah, today. Yeah, you should. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry. Derailed that. <laughs> no, sorry. Well, if I ever find myself sat next to them on a dinner party, yeah, yeah. I've got the icebreaker. <laughs> Did you take your thyroxine this morning? Uh, Actually, I get in trouble with my mum quite a lot because I'm really bad at remembering to take no, it. I know. It is really bad. I, I'm, it's really bad. It's awful. But And you'd think after 17 years of taking a medicine... Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not. And my, I remember talking to another friend about something she was taking. And my mum was in the room, and I was like, "Oh, don't worry, just take it when you next can." It's like me with my thyroid. My mum just piped up the other. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> you should be taking it every day. Anyway, don't worry, it's fine. I will be better. I'll be. I'll keep on it. Um, so, did you feel a little bit as well? Like, actually, I wonder. It in some ways was the fact that menopause has got this sort of association of older women just having hot flushes was that actually quite an unhelpful association when clearly what you're going through sounds actually really awful oh what in terms of um i suppose how people receive it and yeah. how also just just actually the depth of what you're experiencing versus oh, the sort yeah. of that's a good point version of what we know i forgot a big part of the symptoms was my anger as well so <laughs> oh i love the story about you going to the ash reunion i mean and, there are loads tra- like that there are lots i couldn't really include of me flipping out but <laughs> i um yeah so i suppose what you're in response to what you just said i think um like your period they're kind of punch uh punchlines to jokes the menopause period so with the menopause it's you're hot and you're angry and I definitely Mm. felt like a little bit of shame because I was now part of that crew um I mean the anger I'm really it is funny in retrospect because I'm a very chilled out peaceful human being in terms of um uh, my anger responses I just it it takes a lot to get me furious but um yeah I was very angry <laughs> my husband had a lot of a lot of difficult interactions with me and I just I just felt this desire to smash it up constantly wow. like I don't want to just throw things against the wall and I was confrontational which actually I think is quite useful and I'm I'm you know I think I've probably spent too much of my life not being like that um so I was quite in some ways I was quite into it but it was erratic and it was scary and, yeah, I'd, um, I mean, not nice to be around probably. And, I'd, yeah, I did push some men around at a gig. Mm. But then I was like, come on. Yeah, I suppose with the anger thing, I think it's just when you feel like you're set to cross and then things yeah, just annoy yeah. you and then you're just highly irritable and in that mood where you don't really like how you're acting. That's the side yeah. of that, that mood that's really unpleasant. Yeah, um, and it was all aimed at men. yeah. I don't know why, but it was all aimed at poor men. <laughs> I'm sure they love because being they wouldn't out have, a bit. wouldn't go through that. Maybe? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it is that. Yeah. <laughs> right, you nailed it. Yes, um, um, and I think yeah, I know, I, I know that feeling. And and you, as you say, some of it's almost you sort of take at the time you almost take a bit of glee in just how angry you are. Yeah, that yeah. fury 
It's almost yeah. got its own, like, it's an energy source, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's just when you know that you're doing it that's disproportionate and people are looking at you a bit like, uh, yeah, and gross. you can't wind it back you down. You cannot, You're no. just stuck. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> so I guess you were, it must have been a very intense time because it just hearing the, your diagnosis and dealing with what's happening with you is enough, but also back to baby. Oh, yeah, the that baby. Was, oh, yeah, the baby. <laughs> there was that, that became the focus in terms of what the conversations you were having mainly yeah yeah and that the was, appointments you were having mainly. yeah loads of like work were great and you know understood and you have to go to lots of appointments um if you're doing any form of IVF so I was in the hospital a lot and um we were all geared up to do the egg transfer in November 2017 so um this from your sister yeah so my sister had two weeks of um doing those injections, um, which stimulate your ovaries and get them all ready for being extracted. Um, and then we all head off to the hospital one morning. Um, Mark goes into a cubicle and does his business. I mean, actually, he did miss the cup and he had to scrape it off the wall. <laughs> so my baby is technically the scrapings of a... <laughs> it must be powerful. I mean, powerful stuff that he's got, really. Um <laughs> So they um, they then put it in. Um, sorry, I'm so bad at explaining science stuff. My sister had her eggs removed, and then they joined it up in a uh, thing. <laughs> Hang on, what's it called? They took my sister's eggs and my husband's sperm, put it in a laboratory, and we waited overnight for it to fertilise. And you want to get a blastocyst, which is a really strong embryo. It's one that's most likely to survive um uh but we got a phone call the next day saying that we didn't actually have any they'd all died overnight um so I was completely broken by that and then the next day we got another call saying actually something's changed overnight you've got one you've got a healthy embryo let's let's pop it in so Mark and I rushed over and they put it in us in me um, and then um, you have to wait two weeks to find out if you're pregnant. So you're just very careful and you just don't touch anything and, you know, walk really slowly to work. Um, but um, we didn't uh, get pregnant that time and it was really difficult telling my sister because um, yeah. the hormones are powerful. They actually do make you feel menopausal. So it was a lot for her to physically go through with two small boys and it was really expensive and I think we're all we'd been prodded and regulated for so long that I just needed some time out. Um, yeah. I was really sad and my sister was ready for round two. She was like, we'll do it again, we'll go again. And I just thought, I can't put you through that. So we met a wonderful doctor and he said, um, this is through the NHS as well, he said, why don't you consider egg donation? Um, I was really horrified by that. And I thought, that's disgusting. I don't want another woman's body inside mine. Is that so? That was your first response, was just. Yeah, just horrified. Um, I didn't know anything about it. And it's stupid, really. But yeah, I, Mark was very pro it. This doctor was pro it. And um, I was really annoyed. I think I was also coming down off all the hormones and the stress of it all. So I just wanted everyone to leave me alone. I suppose um, as well, your experience had been with your sister. And that's. Yeah familiar and there's already so much about that relationship that's what you don't even need to articulate it it's yeah. just there so the idea of it being someone completely yeah. different 
That's true, yeah. I, it's a really different, I, different thing to get your head around. It is, and Libby and I are really similar, and I knew there wouldn't be any weirdness if our baby, you know, looked like her or behaved like her because, yeah, we've got a really um, uncomplicated uh, relationship, my sister and I. And, and that's always been the case. Yeah. That's so lovely. That's amazing. It's I really good. love that. She's a lot older than me, and I think she... It's just a good, a good egg. I like to see it all around in all senses. Yeah. <laughs> I could be, that could be the name of a book, couldn't it? <laughs> um, I think, I like to think I would do the same for my yeah. siblings as well, without even thinking about it as well. Yeah. I think there, that is, that's something that happens with that, those people in your life that you have that bond with, definitely. It's, it's just without, it's not even a question mark. You just go, that's, yeah, of course that's what should happen. Because you want especially if your sister's already a mother and knows that's what you want. You just think, I want that for you, if that's mm. what you want. Um, I think that's quite an instinctive thing, really. And, and that's amazing that it affected her so much when she's got young kids as well. That must have been a lot to process. And probably at the time, there's all this momentum of the next appointment, how it all works, and it's only really now you can look back and think, wow, we actually did all that and it all happened. And Yeah, and I really have to, you know, I don't want her to ever feel like she failed because it wasn't anything to do with her. It's no. just, you know, people go through fertility treatment for decades. It's brutal. Well, this is the thing that's so crazy, isn't it? That, that, that we, I mean, we have, in so many ways, so much benefit in modern science, but that really, when it comes down to making that baby, it's, it's still really tough to do. It's a miracle. Yeah. Truly, it is a miracle. Yeah, it's, it's bonkers. It's not just add that to that and away you go. It's, no. It is actually quite mind-blowing that there's so much that's kind of unknown about how that all works. I know. Yeah. It's incredible, isn't it? It is, and um, <clears throat> the next. I mean, the next. I, I I sound quite flippant about it. Or I'm sure lots of other people have difficult journeys, sort of coming to terms with even using their siblings, sort of eggs or whatever. But felt very calm and just let's get on with it. But yeah, it did take me a while to process the next step. But I think I sort of had to shut a bit of my brain down and think if I really want a child, this is the only option. And, and then, you know, we'd pursue uh, adoption, obviously, but that would take a while as well. So I just had to sort of turn off any worries or weirdness I had going on. And Mark was really pro it. You know, the process would be very quick because we were going to... Is quite do... pragmatic about these sort of things then? Just this, yeah. yeah, yeah. he is really pragmatic and um, he's really good at, like... He doesn't play poker or anything, but he's n he's good at knowing when to chuck everything at something. Yeah, and he'd just be like, do we want to do this or not? Yeah, like, yeah. Do you want a baby? This is how to get this. Go. This, this might work, yeah. Which is good because I'm not, you know, I'm not like that, so it was handy. Um, and we um, we were suggested a uh, clinic in uh, Spain. So um, we had a few phone consultations with them. Um, they were really fast, really efficient. There wasn't, you know, it wasn't that touchy-feely or anything. They just asked me... Um, do you want dark hair and light eyes, which is what I've got? And I said, yes, please. We didn't know anything about the donor. Um, I think in some other clinics you can choose, you know, if they're good at chess or whatever. But <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, I just wanted, I didn't, you know, I didn't need any additional information. If they're good at chess. <laughs> <laughs> or like, you know, a good I would at... I've just gone for someone who's quite tidy, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just easy to live with, please. <laughs> It's so true, yeah. <laughs> just easy going. I know. Good. I think, yeah, I think if you start down the, that route, you can just probably get lost. Like, uh, yeah. what do you want? I mean, 
Yeah. So, so they don't, I mean, you don't have to say if it's too personal, but they don't go as far as like gender and things like that. Because I know Spain, sometimes they, that is a place oh, wow. where... wow. I didn't know that. No. No, I think Spain is one of the countries where you can do, um, you can decide what gender baby you have. Crikey, no. It's not legal in the UK. Wowza. No, I'd never heard of that. Hmm. Luckily, yeah, so we just went for it. Um, and then Mark and I uh, trotted off to Madrid for a weekend, which is when we were going to do the egg transfer. I hope I'm not skipping through stuff, but it it was just sort of a boring story of taking hormones and getting, again, doing lots of scans to see if my womb was thick enough. Mm. Um, which is really, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm really skipping over that, but it's really stressful. You have to have bleeds at a certain time. Your body has to do things like clockwork and it's slow and boring and really stressful, which is like the worst combination. Well, getting yourself ready for yeah, everything. Yeah, like... So by this date, you have to have a bleed. Otherwise, we won't be able to do the next stage, which is this. And some, Blimey. you know, you like willing yourself. I used to go for massages and stuff to try and relax my body so I might bleed at the right time. And, I actually um, didn't realise any of that. It's a real, it's a real faff. Um, and well, how does that affect your relationship with your body? Yeah, I mean, it's just a very functional thing that yeah. you're just like, come on, please work. Yeah. I start, I mean, yeah, I hated it a little bit. But then I suppose in some ways as well, when things do happen and you're already at, you kind of marvel. At yeah. The fact that it, you can be oh, sort of organised like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think you can get a bit sort of fixated on being healthy and stuff like that. But I did, I did go down that path. I did stop drinking and I got really into hot yoga and did all that stuff um, just to more to sort of cushion myself if it went wrong I wouldn't get too upset I'd be physically strong enough to sort of cope mm. with stuff which I think is quite important um but I don't think you need to not eat certain things and all that I think just try and do whatever makes you calm and happy is my advice to anyone doing yeah, fertility treatment good. um Mark booked us into this um hotel in the uh the gay district in Madrid which was very funny because they were just like pumping EDM constantly and beds were like <laughs> massive bowls of condoms next to did he like look was that, was that, that's still a mystery got very good view, reviews on TripAdvisor <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, yeah it's a bit of a mystery while we ended up there but I mean it was a good distraction but it was say, just very sensual how incongruous it was it was quite a, a nice thing actually because yeah. it's like this is actually quite funny it's quite sometimes quite nice to have those moments of absurdity and amongst oh totally. things that are very intense yeah. And, and especially when it's very <laughs> medicalised. I agree, yeah. There was nothing too sentimental about anything that was going on. It was you just... don't go back and stay there once a year. Just to... <laughs> I would actually. I had a lovely rooftop yeah. bar. But um, yeah, we headed off to the clinic and you have to not wee. You have to have a full bladder and it's quite a hard thing to sort of um, judge because if you take it too far, then, you know, you're in agony. And they let me go for a wee just before I went in because I was I was about to wet myself in the reception and then I had to drink about seven pints of water, so I was back up to... Is this for a scan? This is for the implantation. Oh, OK. I don't know why you need to have a wee in your bladder, but... It's, um, maybe I think it... I had to for my first scan. I think it's some... I don't think they do it anymore, but I think the first time I had a scan, you had to have a full bladder. Oh. And I think it's something to do with how it makes everything present when they're... Oh, I don't know. right, it's more inflated something like that I don't, I don't know. know I was about to try and say what yeah, it is but I realised yeah. I don't know <laughs> I didn't know anything I mean I was some women are really good at being on it I just was like reacting to whatever was in front of me to be honest mm. um it was really slick and great and they even showed us a little 
baby blastocyst on an iPad before we got it implanted. So wow. I, I, you know, I saw him and that's at very, very young reassuring, age. isn't it? That they, this is just the thing that they get on with doing all oh, the time. Yeah, totally. And there'll be, you know, appointments before you, appointments after you. Yeah, 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 definitely. And it was, you know, it was brilliant. And then went back, they popped it in me. Brilliant, it wasn't, it was, they just stuck, stuck a thing inside my <laughs> cervix or whatever. Don't even know where it went. <laughs> Um, uh, went back to the hotel, laid on the sort of silky leather sheets, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then went home. And two weeks later, I had a positive pregnancy test, um, which was brilliant, incredible. Yeah. Um, pregnancy was great. And actually. the next adventure begins. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was bad actually. What happened? <laughs> I didn't have space to write this in the piece, but I had um, pregnancy was fine actually. It was quite scary because, you know, if we did have a miscarriage, it would have been a very expensive road back to where we wanted to be. So it was, yeah, it was intense. Um, yeah, but suddenly you realise that vulnerability of just how far you've come and yeah. how invested you are and then it's kind of out of your control aspects oh, of it and it's just... You're screwed, yeah. Just realise your heart could break very easily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really vulnerable time. Mm. But it was, you know, nice... And nice being pregnant and I was actually a bit more feisty in terms of getting people off tube seats than I thought I'd be. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'm only going to do this once, so I'm really going to go for it. Um, and then um, he was quite late, actually. Am I going to... Is this interesting, What my birth and stuff? You can if you like. <laughs> I'll, I'll be quick, but... I'll, um... <laughs> I need to do like minute by minute or anything. <laughs> Basically, it all just went a bit wrong. Um, he, you know, his heart rate was going really low. Um, so they broke my waters and um, they pulled him out with forceps and I had an episiotomy and all that stuff and a, quite a bad tear. And then I had to go into theatre afterwards and sew me up. Um, and then I couldn't breastfeed because it had all been so intense that I was slightly traumatised. Um, and then... I um, just, he got jaundice, we had to go back to hospital because um, obviously there was no milk coming out of my boobs. And then I spent a night in hospital with him in which I was in a nappy filled with my own wee and then my scars, I can't believe I'm <laughs> My scars from my episiotomy got infected so I had to go back to oh, hospital. Oh, poor thing. And then lock, lockdown kicked off and I was sort of, um, oh, golly. Sort of trapped with all that, um, well, someone, I did, get diagnosed with PTSD afterwards but I think had I been around my family and friends to talk about how mad it all was I would have gotten over it but because I had to look after my baby and um we were in lockdown I just sort of internalized it all no I think that's very honest of you and I think I've actually had it with um a few friends who've had really traumatic births and it, invariably it's the first baby or the only baby or whatever and then you go and visit them and both both of them, like, you know, look like they've been sort of like yeah. in a war zone or something. They look absolutely shell-shocked. And obviously you've got this beautiful new baby in amongst it all, but they, I've seen it in my friend's eyes where they just look like something has, you know, happened that they can't quite process. And I think, I think you're so caught up in this thing of the baby's here and then the bit of the birth is almost just supposed to be like the anecdote you tell about how they made it onto the planet but yeah. actually if you have a traumatic birth that is horrific and if you think your baby might die in that moment mm. that's horrific and if your partner thinks you might all those things yeah. take a long time to even because you're 
you're supposed to be just like, oh, we're into the next bit now and how many weeks your baby and there's so many other things to distract yeah. you and you're now having to focus on this new person and being responsible for them. But I actually think there's a lot a lot of things that take a long time to process. Yeah. And sometimes maybe people don't even really ask you about it that much because you get discharged from hospital and then that's kind of, right, you're on to the next chapter now. Off you go. Yeah. Is everything okay with you physically? Okay, on you go. And actually I think that's, I think it's actually more unusual to not have an experience like that. I'm trying to think of anyone I know where it's just like, actually, you know, it was amazing. I, I'm actually struggling to think. <laughs> yeah. I think most of my girlfriends come away, you know, some of them have awful um, blood loss and tears and all sorts of things. And it's just awful and defining and quite private as well, actually. Because yeah. you're supposed to be just so elated that your baby's yeah. here. Especially when you've had like a such a big run-up to get the baby. Yes. I was like, oh, no, I sound really ungrateful. And also, but I, I sort of, my feelings about it, I'm quite bitter about the aftermath of his birth because I was so uh, in shock and completely traumatised that I don't think I enjoyed those first few months of him being alive. And I'm really sad about that because I'm not going to do it again. Um, and I feel like I've lost out on it. No, you haven't. And no. I think that's really normal, I yeah. think, because there's so much of it. It's just such a big deal. And actually, I spoke to another lady um, who'd, I think, spent seven years doing IVF to have her baby. And she and her husband both had um, postnatal depression because this very long for baby, they just both... It wow, was just, I've never heard of that. That's yeah. really interesting. Yeah, they both just were really unhappy in, in themselves for the first year because they just felt like we wanted this so much and now it's actually quite tough and yeah. I don't know, there might have been other things going on and they just, yeah, both were really blue. That's the thing about fertility treatment. You, the the run-up is so exhausting that when you get to the toughest bit, you're already knackered. <laughs> you're knackered. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, I'm saying this from someone who only did it for two years, but yeah, so if you're having hard. your treatment in the UK, mm. is it treated just like a normal pregnancy after that? Or do they look um, after you that bit more because they know your history? Yeah, it's high risk. It was high risk because of that, but actually, it was fine. There wasn't really any of that. So you have it a few more appointments. Yeah, yeah. But do they, is there sort of um, care in terms of like how you're feeling about everything? That's a good question. Not really. I mean, it was more just like we need we we'd prefer it if you had it in the hospital rather than a home birth, okay. which is fine because I was up for that anyway. Um, but yeah, no, no. I mean, they, I guess they just don't have time to be that t touchy-feely about it maybe I don't think it's touchy-feely to check if you're okay <laughs> I think it's just um it, it's just it goes right to your core a lot of this stuff you know and the, mm. the emotions that come up and actually if you've already got you know a, a complicated journey that's been very medicalized and then you also have a tricky birth and then you also I mean lockdown that's a whole other mm. thing to add into the pot isn't it and I wonder how many people will be only just now articulating either maybe even to themselves how tricky that's all been you know yeah um and you've spoken a lot about saying it's your the only time you're going to do it is that a decision that was just an instinctive thing yeah like I just I'm not over any part of this journey yet <laughs> and you know how I think you were saying earlier or maybe I was listening to someone else say it people just forget about that hard bit at the start and have another one but I mean, all of it was so hard mm. <laughs> that I just couldn't do it. I just could never do it again. And also, he, he's enough for me, definitely. Like, I feel like I've got it, him. Yeah. So um, I feel like it's okay. 
and yeah I think particularly the birth I just yeah yeah I and I think you're part of a pretty like, that club has got a lot of membership yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I think so. I know a few members <laughs> definitely and also what can happen is you sometimes people decide to have another baby and then it then it then it all comes up and then they yeah. get very freaked out about the idea that they've got to deliver this baby no matter what and I know. what will happen. I think maybe that's another um, discussion, really. I think there's just so many things that are that are only just being spoken about in a more conversational way rather than yeah. just behind closed doors, actually. I know. We've got such an idea of how we're supposed to feel, how we're supposed to take to it, uh, what's supposed to come naturally, what's supposed to come easy. But actually, so many people fall into the footnotes at the bottom of the pregnancy books about what happens if you turn left instead of right. And then you, then for you, you're just, that paragraph is the, the only reference to it. <laughs> yeah, you know. And then you have to buy a different book after that. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> you know, people are always like, oh, you shouldn't really talk about your birth story because it upsets other people. But it's like, it's like, why would you not talk about getting in a major car crash? Or, exactly. You know, we yeah, I think we've got to have a little little chat about it occasionally but um I mean I, I remember telling my friends about what had happened and they just, just no one knew how to say it uh, to respond to it because the way I was saying it was unhinged and what I was saying was like horrible my you know talking about my dead baby in front of me so it was just it was he was alive after that obviously but he died for a bit um but yeah um I just wanted to add as well that I did manage to relactate I had I managed to get milk wow. out of my boobs and we did it for six months so. how did you what, what like after a significant yeah it was um after a month really yeah that's fascinating <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> own. really hard work just pumping yeah pumping pumping and um, i didn't actually know that could happen after a month yeah it's a lot of hard work but you can we did it and i'm, I'm glad you know i'm, I'm definitely not an evangelist I'm, I'm not evangelical about breastfeeding mm. but um I'm glad I tried and glad we did it. No, I'm just impressed at the human body, really. Yeah, same. And I think, um, I'm, I too, I would not, you know, I think whether you're not, your breastfeed is like just so not interesting to me about other people. I don't, I don't care if you're breast or bottle at all. But I do think that particularly in very medicalised situations, so when I had my babies early, for example, I fixated a lot on the breastfeeding because it was the only thing I felt I could do that was just my job. And, you know, I could have had donor milk or formula, but it was something I could do that showed mm. I'd just have a baby, yeah. even though my baby wasn't at home. So I just, I'm very familiar with the pump. Yeah. <laughs> very familiar. When you hear the noise of it, it's very triggering, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although they, they move with the times, those pumps, and now you get these very quiet ones, if you oh, know that. really? I didn't yeah, know yeah. that. It's really clever. <laughs> yeah, it's all, all changed since the beginning for me. Um, but... Um, why, do I, why, why should I take this now? Because I think there's so many things that I've, you've made me think about. But I suppose I love the idea that you're saying he is enough. I think that's a really beautiful thing about your baby. I really love that. Mm. And uh, my children will never listen to this, but that doesn't mean you're not enough, darling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I'm in awe of other people who can do it again, to be honest. I think it's magical. But I mean, also the important thing to say is that I was really nervous about talking about my baby uh, as a donor uh, egg baby because it's going to be a really complicated thing to explain to him one day and I want him to understand it properly but I think the overwhelming core of this is that he was so wanted yeah he is the product of years of work and all of our money he is everything we put everything into getting him and so 
I hope he knows that one day. He'll but, know it. Yeah. He knows it already. Yeah. <laughs> when that's when that's the environment you're born into, I think it's yeah. imbued in you actually. And I don't. It's funny. I mean, I hope I, you don't take this as me being really flippant. But from where I'm sitting, it's just not that big a deal. Mm. No, it's I don't, not. I don't think about it like that at all, because this is just what happened on the way to you having your baby. But that yeah. baby is the baby you're meant to have. It's, yeah, I know. It's the only one you, you know. And it always these, feels like that, I think. I know. There. That it's all these <laughs> secret, people have got all these secret stories about how they came to where they are. And we just are only just starting to talk about them more openly, really. Yeah. But and yeah. also, I don't know if anyone would ever say anything otherwise really I, I think if anyone has an opinion that isn't like that then it says a lot more about them than it would ever yeah. say about you yeah yeah totally totally <laughs> it's nothing to do with you probably yeah I mean some people can be it's, it's always very, very revealing I think if people have got a very exacting idea of how things should go and that's that's the yeah. right way I don't I don't follow that no at all. no 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 yeah. life is a lot more complex than that isn't yeah. it I wanted to ask, because I know when you were saying that you were starting the process of trying to have a baby, that you were finding it really hard to be around, you know, pregnant people, babies, even family, yeah, kids' birthday parties. Um, and I wondered, once you've had a baby and you've had a foot in that camp, do you feel like there's still a foot in that camp? Yeah, yeah, and I don't want to ever... You know, you you have to be careful to not be take up all the space when you've been infertile and then you've had a baby because there's obviously so many people who are still going through it, and I never want to be that kind of person who's still sort of trying to hoover up all the sympathy. But I definitely am really cautious about posting stuff on the internet and asking people about their own situations and um, stuff like. If I still worked in an office, I might be a bit wary of bringing my child in because something like that would ruin my week if someone brought in a new baby and I'd been having a tough time. So, yeah, I'm really a bit wary of showboating, even though you desperately want to do it because you're so proud of them. But, yeah, being a bit delicate and not knowing anyone's backstory is key, I think, and I'll always have that. Yeah, I mean, I know that um, when I spoke to... Um Emma Barnett, who spent a really long time trying to have a baby, she has endometriosis and did IVF in the end. And she said she can't understand, she can't relate when women have had a really tough mm. time getting pregnant and then end up posting a lot about babies and pregnancy and their children at home. And she's just, she wasn't, it wasn't even a judgment, it's just an emotional response. Like, I, I don't understand how you've now yeah. become into that camp it's tough isn't it because I think it's just sublime pride and love and I think it's coming from a really innocent place but I also see completely Emma's side it's sort of mad that we do the thing that hurt us the most to other people don't know it's a minefield the internet and babies is a minefield there's no rhyme or reason to it uh, yeah babies and actually like lots of things actually like how we what we choose to share and what might actually have that effect on people and you just have you're not thinking it through in that way but then if you worried about the people that might perceive it that way or might, might, you probably wouldn't really post anything ever because yeah. everything is just like 
why are you saying, telling us about... I mean, I remember, like, last year, I was like, well, I can't post if I if I go on holiday. I won't mm. share anything because it felt like there's so many people who can't go away. You know what I mean? There's sometimes you, things kick in and other times I've probably done, like, incredibly tactless things and not really thought about the people yeah. that might go, why are you doing that? Oh, I spend, like, three hours debating whether or not I should put a picture of anything on the internet. <laughs> it's yeah. horrible. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's an interesting one, all that. I suppose it goes back to what we were saying before as well about aspects of motherhood being sort of held up on a pedestal mm. and, and then you worry that if you start going, oh, actually, look at this amazing human, that you sort of become part of it. But actually, I think, if, as you say, it's really sensitive to understand as well that the reason people do it is coming out of the... It is an innocent thing. You're just thinking, yeah. yay, look at my And offspring. maybe they want to be part of this club that they felt excluded from and they want to tell the world. And it's. I think it's quite complex, really, the reason why we're motivated to do things on the internet. Yeah. Um, but that's interesting you said about even taking your baby to work or something would have been... Like, if that had happened at that time, that would have just been like... Yeah, yeah. I was being hurt all the time and it was nobody's fault, but I was just hyper aware of it. Yeah. It felt very irrational for me. And, yeah, just avoiding seeing my nieces and nephews was really tragic, really. Didn't like that aspect of it at all, but it was just self-protection mode, really. A bit selfish, but necessary. No, if it hurts, it hurts. Mm. And you yeah. just need time to get get to the point where you can be okay with that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now he's here as well, which is lovely. Yeah, he's ridiculous. He's got a, <laughs> a really mad mullet. <laughs> See? <laughs> a mad lockdown mullet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that a result of you trying to cut his hair or my, just the way it's done? My husband won't let me cut it. And it is magical, but it's just very straight hair. So he looks like a... We always compare it to sort of a greasy pub landlord sort of vibe. <laughs> well, actually, Mickey, my youngest, has got really long hair and I've never had one where I've just let his hair grow, but I think because lockdown and everything, because he was just over one when it started, so the time when I maybe would have taken him for a haircut. And then by the time he was allowed to, it just became sort of part of how yeah. he looks now. So he's got really long hair. <laughs> so they can hang out with their mad hairdos together. Like. <laughs> I mean, on a good day, it looks lovely. On a bad day, it does look a little yeah. bit neglected. That's fine. <laughs> He can just about see through it, so it's fine. <laughs> um, I want to thank you so much for all your honesty. I think I honestly think these conversations are really important. And I think your article is so beautiful. Um, and I'll make sure people head there. But you articulate it. There's so much love there, not just with you and your husband and your baby, but also I can hear it through your family. Yeah. It's just, um, it just shows you like how, uh, how valuable that is to buoy you up, actually. Yeah. Yeah, and I bet your friends have been really amazing too. And then yeah. they all know how special that is that he's here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's uh, he's going to be a little spoiled. Yeah, runt. <laughs> and with your sister, did it did it change anything afterwards in terms of your relationship? No. Yeah, uh, I think we've both gone through this really big thing together. It's definitely brought us closer. Um, I just want to thank her every time I see her that she did that for me. But. Um, yeah, I don't know, I'm just forever indebted. Even if it didn't work out, it's just was beautiful. So that was lovely Harriet. Doesn't she speak so beautifully about her experience? Really appreciated her time and her honesty. It's lovely to hang out with her and to speak with her. And Yes, you're right, I'm still walking around Aberdeen. I've been a little bit silly, if I'm honest with you. Because I set off and I wasn't really thinking too much about where I was going. 
and I've wandered all over and now I just want to be back at the hotel but I've got to traipse quite a long way to get back but you know I suppose it's good for me although part of me is a bit like mm, I'm supposed to be taking things easy because um, on Tuesday so where are we now Saturday oh no only three sleeps left I'm going to do my 24-hour challenge for children in need. And I'm feeling a little peculiar about it because I'm not really sure if I'm supposed to have done any training or not. I spoke this morning on Claudia Winkleman's Radio 2 show with her and she said, you can't train. And I spoke last week to Dermot O'Leary and he said, you can't train. But Professor Greg White, who is a physiotherapist, will be with me for the full 24 hours. He sent me some exercises to do a couple of weeks ago. I don't know about you, but I was like, yep, definitely. He's like, it's only about 15, 20 minutes a day, just core training. And I was so sure that I was going to do that every day. And I don't think the five times I've done a plank since then really count. So I guess now my fate is sealed. I might as well just get on with it. But I don't know. I think I'm just going to be buoyed along by whatever it is that's going on at the same time. I just saw that Owen, the lovely Welsh weatherman, he's just completed a 24-hour drumathon, which I think is really hard. And it was really joyous. And he raised over two million pounds. Um, but I'm also a bit confused because he was allowed to have lots and lots of people come in and drum with him, which looked incredible, by the way. And I'm doing my dance-a-thon in the radio theatre, BBC Radio Theatre, and I'm not allowed any more than two people on stage with me and they have to stay three metres away. And I'm not allowed to just have people drop in. So I'm like, how does this work? Who's making up these rules, baby? Anyway, don't worry. Well done to Owen because he did brilliantly. And hey, it's all going in the same pot. And I'll do what I can. I'll dance through it. I'm a little bit nervous. It's all right, isn't it? Anyway, um, fingers crossed next week I will have a podcast guest who very beautifully tessellates with my fundraising. I don't want to say any more than that because I don't jinx it, but yes. Oh, thank you. I just got some slightly more senior women let me overtake them. I'm quite a fast walker. quite like it. Get it done, I say. Anyway, I hope wherever you are and whatever you're doing with your day, hope you're good. Thanks for lending me your ears and your time. And when we speak again, I'll have done my challenge. Woo, it's going to feel good, baby. I want to be the other side of it now. Actually, I just want to be doing it. I kind of want to get on with it. And some of the songs in the playlist are really, really good. That's going to help. Anyway, lots of love to you. See you soon. Bye.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.